Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends. Welcome to another fantastic week here on the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to chat with Daniel Henderson. Daniel is the founder and president of Strategic Renewal International, a ministry organization that serves the local church by equipping and mobilizing churches to pray and also coaching pastors to lead the church in prayer. Now, Daniel and his team, they focus on personal transformation and leadership health, and they do this in a variety of ways. Uh, Like I said, coaching, training, they have online resources, they host conferences and prayer summits, and, and so much more. And if you are looking for a practical, biblically grounded resource to help awaken your church through prayer, Daniel wrote an incredibly helpful book that was published by Moody, and it's entitled Old Paths, New Power. Now, on this week's episode, we really focus in on prayer. Daniel and I discuss how prayer is vital to leadership health, both for pastors and for churches. Daniel shares practical examples of how you, as pastors and ministry leaders, can help prepare your church to experience renewal as you make prayer a priority in your church over this coming year. Now, you're going to want to share this podcast episode with your staff, your ministry leaders, your key volunteers, your elders, your church board. Um, we got some fantastic stuff here for you today. So let's get to it and jump right into my conversation with Daniel Henderson. Daniel, it's such a pleasure to have you with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's my privilege. Excited about it. Excellent. Now, Daniel, I want to jump right into a leadership question. No surprise there, right? So in (laughs) your book, Old Paths, New Power, you address the question, what is leadership? And you tackle that question, right? Now, how do you believe current definitions or common definitions of leadership are lacking? And how would you define leadership? Uh, That's a great, great question. Yeah, I I noted in the book, Old Paths, New Power, there are, I think, over 800 definitions of leadership. So, you know, that conversation could go uh, just about any direction. But, uh, uh, you know, my perspective is dramatically shaped, as all of ours is, of course, by the New Testament, and particularly Acts chapter 6. And, uh, you know, the simplest definition we all throw around is leadership is influence uh, and influencing people toward God's purposes. And I believe that really is a good definition, but specifically influencing people to the accomplishment of the will of God by the power of the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God. I, I think that's real leadership. You know, it's it's not a CEO model. You know, I, I say in my book for years, I was a confessed leadershipaholic. You know, every every book out on leadership I bought, and they're good things, right? Uh, But one year I read through the Bible and I asked myself, well, what does God explicitly say about leadership? And of course, uh, the word itself is not in the Bible that often. But the the thing that really captured my attention is that everyone that God used significantly, uh, there was a common denominator and it wasn't their training or personality. It was that little phrase, the Lord was with him. And and if, if you're ever reading through the Bible, look for that phrase and it begins to pop out everywhere. And that the real key to spiritual influence was the manifest presence of God in the life of someone who was walking in the blessing of God and influencing them toward the will of God. And so I think that's really what biblical leadership is. As pastors, um, obviously you've pastored churches for, for many years. You were you were yeah. lead pastor. And you know, just as our listeners know, there are so many different things kind of vying for our attention. Yeah. How— 
can pastors focus on this biblical understanding of leadership when they're being pulled in so many different directions? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know this, when you're in the pastor, you got to learn two things real quickly. You can't please everybody and you can't do everything, right? Exactly. <laughs> in, in spite of all the expectations <laughs> and opportunities. But uh, I always say when I'm talking to pastors, and it's it's not a, a unique phrase, but it's one that I've used a lot, and that is that the power of no isn't a stronger yes. Uh, the ability and strength and grace to say no to a lot of the lesser things is rooted in knowing what your yeses are, right? And so that's why I, I just fell in love with the Acts 6-4 model, because it's a real story. You know, the church is exploding, and the widow-feeding uh, program, you know, the wheels fall off. That's a big deal in God's economy, right? And the tendency is to fix it. And the people came to him and said, fix it. And they said, no, we're not going to fix it. We believe God has other people, spirit-filled and wise to do that. But we will devote ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And, of course, the result, as you know, just three verses later, was probably the greatest revival in the early church, where the word of God spread. The number of the disciples didn't add. They didn't multiply. They multiplied greatly. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. And so, you know, yeah, we're 2,000 years later, but the issues are still the same. You know, things go wrong, crises happen, and we have a choice to make. We, we either stick firmly with our yeses and have the courage to say no, and then the vision to raise up other people to do it and believe that God can help us with that. Or we get stuck in the fray of it all, and we burn out, we get, we get overloaded and discouraged, and uh, I, I always say, uh, Jason, that um, the devil doesn't have to destroy us. All he has to do is distract us. Mm. And, and we've got to recognize the key to overcoming those distractions is rooted in our priorities. Excellent. Now, Daniel, I want, I want to dig in a little bit on this because I can only yeah. imagine we have pastors who are listening right now. <laughs> And, you know, they, they're, they're pastoring the average church in North America, you know, little over 100 people, usually don't have a lot of staff. You know, they're, they're, they're probably trying to train up some volunteers, but really a lot of the life of the church is falling on their shoulders. So yeah. they're listening to this and they say, I love it. I believe it. But Daniel, my reality is, you know, I am not only the, the preacher, but I'm also the person who's, you know, taking care of the, the facilities. I'm the person who, you know, every time something is happening, I'm involved. What yeah. advice would you give to a pastor kind of wrestling through that that might help them embrace that Acts 6-4 and kind of work and process through that? And how can they take their church? Because as you mentioned, expectations, right? Our yeah. church members oftentimes have you know, really unrealistic expectations. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how they can navigate that with their people as well. I think that'd be helpful. Absolutely. That's a great question. And uh, we do coaching with pastors. And, and of course, a couple of our sessions online are about this issue. And most of them are small church pastors who I absolutely love. And they are. They're the one-man guy, and they're trying to do it all. So, uh, you know, I really believe that God has given pastors both the calling and the ability to reshape two things that we talked about, expectations and environment, and uh, to reshape the expectations that people have for their leader and the environment in which we all function. And so as I coach pastors, we really do talk about the issue of priorities, because if I really press them, 
most most guys don't know what their priorities are. If I held a gun to their head, what are your priorities? Uh, well, you know, serve, you know, try harder, pray, preach about. Well, that's nice, but you know, nothing is dynamic until it is specific. And what I learned both in my journey as a church planter, and then all the way to plant, you know, pastoring mega churches in in either environment. If I have not clarified very specifically what my priorities are, written them down, you know, undergirded them biblically, uh, put them in front of me on a regular basis. But then I think the key is you got to share those priorities with your leaders. You got to share them with your people, with your staff, if you have staff, with your volunteers. Uh, Leif Anderson taught me one time that change agents need protectors. Uh, he also told me that churches do more to help pastors succeed than pastors do to help churches succeed. I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but I have learned that if a pastor will clarify his priorities, really own them in his heart, share them with his elders, share them with his church, people get that and they can be understanding about that so that when, you know, Tommy Tiddlywinks comes to Elder Joe and he says, you know, Pastor Bill didn't visit my cat's christening or whatever, you know, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, the elder can say, well, you know, I understand your disappointment, but, but we're supporting our pastor in these five areas. And this is what he needs to do to help our church accomplish its mission. And, and so we're sorry you're disappointed, but we're with him all the way. But you see, if a pastor doesn't do that, everybody's kind of left to, to, you know, grabbing for straws. Well, yeah, maybe he didn't visit your cat's baptism. What's wrong with him? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It's, and so it has to start with clarity in the pastor's life and heart and mind about what he has to give himself to and share that with his leaders, his family, and then get protectors around him so that then with those tools in hand, he can over time reshape both the expectations and the ministry environment of his church. And I really, really believe that that works. And I think that's what happened in Act 6. You know, they said, this is what we're committed to. And the people rose to the occasion and God blessed it. Uh, in fact, if you even think back in, in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was overloaded and Jethro came to him and said, hey, dude, you, you got to focus here, right? And he gave him three priorities. Uh, he said, first of all, represent the people before God. Secondly, teach them the statutes of the Lord. Thirdly, appoint other judges. And here's what captivates me. Both in Acts 6 and in Exodus 18, the same three priorities are given in the same order. Prayer, the word, and empowering others to serve and lead with you. And, and you know, I'm way too old to think this, but I, I honestly believe if we could do more of that, it would transform the nature of gospel ministry in our churches. So let's dig in now to um, one of the things that's, that's huge on your heart, the very first thing you mentioned on that list, both in Exodus and in Acts 6, prayer, right? Yeah. Because this is one of the things that you have really championed as far as really helping pastors wrap their mind and heart around this idea of, of really nurturing a culture of prayer um, for yeah. themselves personally within their churches. And really, as we're, we're stepping into a, a new year, I think this is one of those things that we can really spend some time on and encourage pastors to look at that. So prayer is obviously a key component. What practical steps can pastors take to nurture a culture of prayer? Yeah. Uh, and to step back just a little bit, I do think it, it really does begin with clarity about what your priorities are. So, you know, the question is, where is prayer in your personal ministry priorities, right? 
uh, you can have a great aspiration to have a praying church, but if you haven't established that as one of your top priorities in your own life and ministry, it's not going to get any time because our time allocation is always rooted in our clear priorities. So, so obviously to revisit that briefly, it really does have to start there. And then to ask yourself, you know, where am I in my own commitment? In in the book, Old Paths, New Power, I talk about, you know, some pastors are complacent. Some are just cooperative with the prayer fanatics in their church. You know, some some have a concern, some have a commitment. But honestly, it has to become a conviction. When it becomes a conviction that this is how I do ministry, then you develop competency uh, in, in how to do that. And honestly, most of us got zero training in seminary, you know, uh, maybe about how to have a prayer life, but not how to lead prayer, how to develop a prayer culture. So it does start with that clarity. And then, uh, you know, often we think that it, the key is a prayer program. And in our coaching, we say there's a difference between a prayer program and a prayer culture. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I did a little tweet a while back. I said, one leadership team said, let's develop a prayer ministry. Another leadership team said, let's become praying leaders. The first one failed, the second one succeeded. So <laughs> a prayer culture always begins at the epicenter of leadership. You can't lead where you aren't already yourself, right? So when I coach pastors, I say, you know, the key is not trying to develop a lot of new prayer activity. I mean, that could be helpful. You know, it uh, could be a church-wide prayer meeting, maybe, maybe not. But the key is to develop a praying leadership team because when the prayer virus is incubated within the leadership team, it always spreads. And so when I consult with churches, uh, Jason, I ask them, I said, number one, how much time does your leadership team spend in prayer? <laughs> There's a convicting question, right? Right. Uh, and, and then secondly, what kind of prayer is it? And so it's how much time we're going to spend in prayer this year together as a leadership team. And then not just going through a grocery list of people's body parts that aren't working and their cars that are broken down and the trips are going on. You know, that's the difference between seeking God's hand and seeking his face. Mm. And when leaders can develop a, a culture of what I call scripture fed, spirit led, worship based prayer, we get together not just to pray about things, but to seek God together that is a game changer because their appetite for God, their passion to seek him uh, becomes not only embedded in how they understand leadership, but it becomes contagious in how they influence their other people. Right. And so I think clarity and then beginning with the conviction has to start with us. And, and honestly, even if that takes a year to develop in the long run, that's going to be a game changer for your church because uh, a church can't help but become a praying church when they have praying leaders. Right. Okay. So so we started one, clarity, um, understanding that prayer is a priority. It's going to be a priority for uh, me as a pastor personally. It's yep. going to be a priority in our church. The second thing you jumped into was cultivating a praying leadership team. So if, if there's a pastor listening, let's dig a little more into that, cultivating yep. a, a, a leadership team that's praying. What What are some ways that you've seen that? happen? Because obviously there's probably not, um, I imagine, some sort of cookie cutter approach, but right. there are different ways that you've probably seen in your own ministry, other pastors that you're coaching and, and that uh, you're, you're working with. What are some ways that that might, um, you know, what might that look like, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, one of the things I know you know, we all know as we're listening, is that this grows by experience, not explanation. It's not just teaching on prayer, doing a sermon series. It's it's how do we get people to begin to taste and see and experience a life-giving prayer experience. So one of the principles we talk a lot about is build the sidewalks where the footpaths already exist. 
there was a university in Texas that would build buildings and they put a sidewalk in. They realized the students didn't take the sidewalk. So they built a new building and waited to see where the students walked and put the sidewalks where the footpaths were, right? So, so here's how that applies. I think the key to seeing this really happen is to begin to very intentionally build sidewalks where the footpaths are. What I mean by that is we live in busy worlds. You know, I mean, people are busy and all the churches I took over were already busy programmed, you know, ministry. So how do we get prayer embedded in environments where people are already meeting, where they're already gathering instead of calling additional events? Uh, and so what what we figured out and what's really helping other pastors is, first of all, developing my own competency in leading this kind of prayer and us as leaders experiencing that together and then feeling like we have the tools to take that into the other environments. So so real practically, uh, smallest footpath is one on one conversations. Mm. This is so simple. Developing an expectation in a culture where your people are encouraged to stop and pray for each other in the moment. You see, you, you just built a prayer sidewalk on a footpath there. That That's very simple. Even if it's a 10-second prayer, you know, just stop and pray for each other, right? Uh, then you've got small groups. You've got leadership meetings. you got maybe in some churches, Sunday school classes. Uh, but here's the big deal. The, the most important footpath is your weekend services. And, and I believe there's a myth out there that people don't want to pray on weekends. But if you look at it, 90 plus percent of people pray. Now, some may pray to a totem pole or in the mirror, who knows what, but they understand prayer, right? Uh, one of our leaders of the Six Four Fellowship, a guy named Vance Pittman, who pastors a very large church in Las Vegas, they, they pray 10 minutes in every service. They've just built it into the culture and it's life-giving. And, you know, they don't make everyone hold hands and sing Kumbaya, you know, but, but showing them how to pray in the context of the service. We did that in Minnesota. It was, again, a very large church. But we never programmed our services to the last minute. We always left seven to ten minutes of freedom to find moments, middle of the sermon, you know, in the middle of a worship song, to show people how to pray the scripture, how to connect with God, even if it was prompters in their own heart or, or just praying with their spouse or praying for the people next to them, whatever the case is. So so here's the deal. I think we've, we've got to realize it's not just adding prayer activity it's learning how to build a prayer sidewalk into every environment where people are already meeting. Now, just a quick caveat, that takes um, our ability to have competency in how to lead those prayer meetings and how to show others how to do that, right? How to open the scripture, pray out of the word of God. But I tell you, my experience is, and with the pastors are coaching, when people get that, they love it. It becomes transformational. And that's a culture, right? Right, right. That's awesome. So something as easy as... You have maybe a weekly staff meeting with yeah. your ministry leaders, you know, whether it's staff or key volunteers, whoever that might be, and carving time out to make prayer a priority within that meeting, right? Yeah, yeah. Or exactly. if, if you're meeting with elders or your church board, you know, every month, that you're setting some time aside, not just to go through the business of the church, but setting that time aside for to focus in on prayer are, are those some of the some of those um, oh, yeah. sidewalks building on on footpaths you were it is exactly okay. a couple stories you know my own journey i inherited three churches uh two of those were on the heels of a scandalous moral failure which isn't mm -hmm. a fun task but sure taught me to pray and the other one following a 40-year predecessor which is a different flavor of pain but in all those cases i inherited elders who really weren't elders i mean they were good men 
but they were trustees, you know, and as I look at elders in the New Testament, they're men of prayer and the word and, you know, they're giving spiritual leadership. So we had to make a transition. But in one of our churches, our monthly meeting that when I got there was from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. one Saturday a month. And it was open in prayer and close in prayer. I call that zipper prayer, right? You zip it open, zip it close, you know. <laughs> and then we went through all the stuff. We decided we're going to stop doing that. We can delegate a lot of this. We begin to spend the first hour and a half in, in prayer and Bible study. And we got way more done than, than we ever did before. You know, what a surprise. Yeah, you align yourselves with God. And guess what? It's his work. He's going to help you get it done more quickly. Another example, a church I, I consulted with in Austin, Texas, Hill Country Bible Church, uh, my friend Tim Hawks, their elders met once a week for two hours on Friday mornings, open in prayer, close in prayer. They changed their paradigm. They decided the first hour we're going to study an attribute of God and then spend at least 30 minutes or more just worshiping him around that attribute, seeing how the Holy Spirit leads us. And to the man, they say, we get way more done in the hour that remains than we ever did in almost two hours of just trying to figure it out on our own, right? And and we have to have the faith to believe that God's going to honor that and then the commitment to, to do it, right? And to spend that time uh, really seeking the Lord together. I love that. Those, those are great, great practical examples. Now, what does it look like, or, or maybe you can share some more stories, because I think some of those illustrations, you know, practical realities of this kind of taking place are, are helpful for sure. us. How have you seen, what are some stories that you've seen where an active prayer ministry has really impacted a church, right? They, they, yeah, they, they make yeah. this a priority, and, you know, what do things begin to look like, you know, as they've been uh, making this a priority over, you know, months and, and maybe a year working yeah. into this? Can you share some stories? Yeah, great, great question. I sure can, yeah. Well, you know, the one we're all aware of is Brooklyn Tabernacle, right? Uh, uh, Jim Cimbala and his church, which has been oriented around their Tuesday night prayer meeting for decades. But I always say to pastors, you go there and you get inspired, but that's like the Disney world of prayer. You know, you come <laughs> home and you got a pogo stick. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my little, my little pogo stick is just not going to cut it, right? So, so that's where you got to realize in your own environment, based on these principles, you know, God's going to help you do this. You know, he wants it to happen. Uh, I, I would defer briefly to my own experience in the sense that, um, for example, the church in Sacramento where I was, you know, it was a very established, older church. God allowed us to experience prayer summits three times a year, eventually led to a weekly prayer meeting with hundreds coming. And, you know, in the early church, um, they didn't have any evangelism courses. Nobody taught them they had to go witness. It says they can't help but speak of what they've seen and heard. And what we saw happen is the outgrowth of that environment of prayer resulted in amazing personal evangelism and church planting and missions. Um, and I think that's one of the things we've got to keep the, our eye on. You know, that that's the end game. It's not just praying so we can all sit around, glow in the dark, and drip Shekinah juice and feel spiritual, right? It's it's not that. It, it's praying so that, that we're engaging with God. And my favorite definition of prayer comes from Alvin Reed, who says that prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And so that's really the track you want to run on when you begin to talk about stories, right? So a lot of the pastors that we've had the opportunity to, to coach have seen that very thing. As their leadership begins to pray together, they, they experience new unity, a new sensitivity to God's unique plan for their church, 
a new passion for the lost, and a new brokenness over the condition of their community. And all of that's coming out of an intrinsic work of the Holy Spirit, you know, not not trying to grow like somebody else's church or, or not trying to, to, you know, outdo the guy down the street, but, but just this incredible spiritual desire and passion uh, to see God's work accomplished uh, according to God's Spirit. So uh, it's just been a beautiful thing. Um, Boy, there's so many stories. But again, churches, honestly, from 50 to 5,000, right? Now, the churches of 50, believe it or not, I mean, they're a little easier to turn around. You know, sometimes you get into a megachurch situation, and it's like turning around an oil tanker. You know, it takes 14 miles and 14 years. But uh, the principles are the same because God honors that. And Acts 6-4 has always got to be connected to Acts 6-7, you know, extraordinary discipleship, evangelism, etc. And, uh, uh, you know, again, we don't have time to tell all the stories, but there's so many occasions where this sense of renewal has, has resulted in a re-engagement in mission. And mm. I think that's what we all really, really want, right? Right. So it's this idea that, um, because as pastors, we get really amped up. Because we want to see transformation taking place, you know, and, and so we're all excited about that. But really, this idea of prayers us digging in and establishing this culture of prayer, because that's the foundation of getting into those places where we see transformation in our people's lives, transformation, you know, in, in marriages, transformation in our community, because we get really excited about the mission of God and we want it to happen right now. But what I kind of hear you saying is we need to kind of step back and say, hey, biblically, look how, you know, God's transformation worked. Look how the Holy Spirit swept in. It was when people took the time to devote themselves to prayer and and, right. and, and commune with God in very sincere ways. That is what tilled the soil and made this renewal and revival and transformation come to pass, Right. It is, exactly. And, and as you're talking, it reminds me of one thing that's part of our coaching as well. But, but we have to have a conviction about the corporate nature of prayer. Uh, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? My answer is yes. It's like asking, <laughs> you know, which leg do you need to walk on, your right leg or your left leg? <laughs> But let's be honest. I mean, Gene Getz said that the, the salient characteristic of Western society is rugged individualism. And, and I think we, we make a mistake in assuming because we challenge people in prayer, we talk about prayer, that they're praying. I, I have found most people sitting in our pews are deeply defeated in their prayer life. And the more we push it, the more defeated they get. The key is to show them how to pray by praying with them, right? Uh, D.A. Carson says the only way, to learn to, only way to learn to pray is by praying with others who know how to pray. Well, well who want to be the lead person in that? Well, it's me, right? So if I don't know how to pray, well, I'm going to start getting people together. We'll learn together, but at least we're learning, right? And we're going to grow. And, and as you know, every revival in history was always rooted in movements of extraordinary united prayer. And, and I believe the enemy has us just where he wants us. I, I wrote one time, if I was the devil, I would focus my most diligent efforts on keeping Christians from praying together. Mm. Because he knows historically and biblically that that was always rooted in, in the advancements of the gospel that resulted in awakenings. And uh, it's not enough just to talk about it, preach about it, assume it. We have to, as we said earlier, create environments where we're really showing people how to do it. And even if I, I don't know very well, you know, I'm going to grow as I show my people. You know, we're going to learn together. 
But it does. It does. I, I got to tell you this. I'm not a paid salesman. I'm a satisfied customer, right? I, I have seen this happen in so many lives. Prayer is not just therapeutic. It is transformational. And, and if we go back and adopt that definition of prayer, it's not just talking to God or telling about our needs, but it's intimacy with him that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Man, what is church work if it's not that, right? What right. is Christianity if it's not that? Abiding in him, joining him in his purposes, in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, right, as we pray. Yeah. Now, as you're talking about corporate prayer, what would you say, what encouragement would you offer to the pastor who says, you know, we had a picnic at the park, you know, announced that everybody showed up. We had pancake breakfast. Everybody showed up. Um, I said, let's have a prayer meeting. Three people showed up, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, because yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's not unusual, you know, yeah. what, what encouragement would you give to a pastor who is like, okay, I, I've got this conviction. I've got this clarity, as you've said. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting our leaders to pray. And, you know, I want to push into this corporate prayer. You know, I, I'm talking about the value and, and the priority that we're going to place on prayer. And, you know, I'm, I'm geared up for it. And then only a handful of people show up. Yep, yep. And, you know, Jim Cimbala, who's a good friend of mine, Jim says, you know, what happens is we get embarrassed Mm. by the lack of turnout, and we give up on it, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, one of our other leaders in our, our fellowship, uh, Al Toledo, who pastors the Chicago Tabernacle, said something that's always been really helpful. He says, don't get discouraged because the commitment of the few can secure the blessing for the many. Mm. Say, that, say that so, again, would you? Yeah the, yeah, the commitment of the few can secure the blessing for the many. That's good. And it's not always about numbers, especially when it comes to prayer. A lot of our people, let's be honest— they're intimidated by prayer. They've given up on prayer. Uh, they're apathetic. They don't have an appetite. But that doesn't give us an excuse to give up on it, right? We, we have to try. And um, one of the things I learned, by the way, because in my situation, as I mentioned, I inherited churches trying to develop a prayer culture. Uh, I learned, and it's going to sound very counterintuitive, but in an already established church, an all-church prayer meeting is rarely the engine of the prayer culture. Mm. But it, but in time, it can become the expression of the prayer culture. And, and in other words, what I'm saying is don't hinge it all on a churchwide prayer meeting, because frankly, if, if the culture has not developed underneath that, you're not going to get a good turnout, right? So let's back up. Let's say if all you've done is develop a praying leadership team and you call a prayer meeting, well, guess who at least will show up? Yeah. Your leaders, right? Right, right, right. And that's a win, right? Yes. Because what happens is, you know, Aunt Matilda, Uncle Charlie, and Brother Bill show up, and none of your leaders are there, and the message is real clear. This isn't really important. You know, the pastor seems excited about it, but no one else in leadership. So it's the slow boil. You know, I say it's a crock pot. It's not a microwave. And so don't just call a prayer meeting, get discouraged, and quit. Develop the culture. You know, if your small group leaders feel competent and they're leading life-giving prayer in their small groups and, and your Sunday school leaders and your ministry team, well, then you call a prayer meeting and these people have an appetite for it now because they've been doing it. And so I think sometimes you get the cart ahead of the horse in terms of how we approach it, but it does take persistence. You know, uh, I mentioned Al Toledo. I heard him say the other day that he had a pastor friend say, we're going to start a churchwide prayer meeting. And Al said, great, brother. He says, after you've led 300 of those, call me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And in other words, you just can't give up. If it's the right thing to do, you know God's going to bless it. Well, then you persevere like you would in anything that it is a biblical conviction. But I do think that, that it's not just calling a prayer meeting. 
It's being very thoughtful, intentional, strategic uh, to develop a culture in a variety of avenues in your church. And then when you call a prayer meeting, it'll be a win instead of a loss in terms of the passion your people have to participate. That is so good and, and great practical advice because I can see as you're kind of talking through that, like you said, sometimes we do kind of think, oh, prayer's going to be a priority. Let's tell everybody and let's say, let's do prayer. But if you haven't taken the time to get your leadership on board, your elders, your church board, your key volunteers, you know, your small groups, then it can be just, you know, crickets, whenever you call it. (laughs) But if you take the time, as you've said, so as we're looking at a new year, kind of a, a, a good plan, a good process, it seems, is first and foremost for the pastor to focus in on his or her own prayer life, right? Because like you said, we can't lead someone someplace we aren't. So that's important. And then start working with our key leaders saying, this is a priority. Let's start praying together Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then start working with our, you know, our church board or our elders or our, you know, then our small groups, inviting them into that. And then as we start to get that traction, then we might be moving into, Hey, let's do a, you know, a quarterly, you know, churchwide prayer gathering. And now we have all these different people, you know, like you said, it's contagious who yeah. are, who are, you know, and that's how you build that culture, right? I mean, I, that's it what is. I hear you saying, correct, Daniel? Oh, you nailed it. You nailed it. It's, it's just, the, it's the right summary. And, you know, so, so leaders, as you're listening, yes, learn to pray solo, but not only solo, right? Mm. Because as you're now praying with your leaders, you're growing in prayer, they're growing in prayer, right leg, left leg, right? And, um, you know, again, I say that the prayer level of any church never rises any higher than the personal example and passion of the leadership. Now, the, the problem, honestly, is you're going to have some leaders who, you know, they give lip service, but they really, they're not all in, right? And uh, quoting my friend Leith Anderson again, Leith says, the key to unity is shared experience. So along with that, I would encourage any leader listening to figure out how can we gain shared experience in this thing of prayer, That could be as simple as reading some things together. So we're all on the same page. We understand the biblical basis where we're agreeing as we go that this is why it's important. This is how we're going to do it. You know, uh, go to a praying church and experience what they're doing. Learn from them. We we do that in other areas, you know, of of method, method, uh, methodology, but, but go to a praying church and, and, and see how they're doing it. Talk about that. Early on, I, you know, well, honestly, I have taken literally 1,200 or more pastors to the Brooklyn Tabernacle in the <laughs> last the last decade, right? And and why? Well, because the heart cannot taste what the eyes have not seen. Mm. And and many of us say we want to have a praying church, but we've never been in a praying church, right? And so you know, you want to have small groups, you go see some church that's got it dialed in. You don't just imitate them, but. But it gives you faith, you know, to believe it can happen. Well, same thing is true in prayer. Connect with some praying pastors or or learn from some church that's really got it going. Read together. Make sure all the leaders share that conviction, share that practice, and the virus is going to start spreading. And that's really what you want to see. Prayer is not a quick fix. I mean, that's the problem. You know, a lot of us Man, we've been trying, you know, Andy Stanley's deal or Bill Hybels or Rick Warner, you know, Ed Young. Let's try Jim Simbler this year. Well, prayer prayer's not going to be reduced to a quick fix. It, it's got to become the conviction and culture of your leadership. And then when it, it begins to happen in the church, I'm telling you, supernatural things happen. And that's what we want. Amen, Daniel. That's so good. Man, I, I, I love this. We could go on for hours, I think, digging into this, honestly. 
But if pastors are listening, ministry leaders are listening, and they want to learn more about what you shared, what's the best way for them to do that, to connect with you and your ministry, to kind of dig in a little more deeply? Uh, Thank you so much. Great question. Well, I have a passion to coach pastors in this. And and we, uh, several times a year, we do 90 days of coaching on prayer culture. And they've got to involve their leadership team. They obviously have to do reading, watch videos. Uh, so I would encourage any pastor, if you want to go deeper and really see this kind of get embedded in your heart, mind, soul, and leadership team, we'd love to, to offer that to you. Just go to strategicrenewal.com, and uh, that's where you'll find information on that. Obviously, you know, I'm very passionate about my book, Old Paths, New Power, which from a reading standpoint, I think is very practical. And, and as you know, there's there's video links to lots of other voices, uh, articles from Francis Chan, Alistair Begg, et cetera, just toward this goal. Uh, and then, honestly, our other website, which is 64 Fellowship, the number six, the number four, and the word fellowship, obviously based on Act 64, has all kinds of video interviews, articles that if nothing else, please use those pastors, uh, you know, hijack those, look at them in your leadership team. There's all kinds of recognizable voices, you know, uh, everyone from, as we mentioned, you know, uh, well, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, Francis Chan, uh, Paul Tripp, so many others who are just talking about this issue of prayer, prayer culture, spiritual vitality. We just want to resource pastors and help them win. I believe that uh, the single greatest need in our nation today is Jesus Christ living through a revived church. And uh, if you if you look at what's going on in the culture, we're not going to figure this one out, but the Holy Spirit's still able. And if we will seek him, he will respond and we will see great things happen. Amen, Dan. That's a great word. So strategicrenewal.com and That's then 64fellowship.com. Yeah, yeah. One is just a resource site, and the other one has uh, information on the coaching and uh, some of the services we can offer them, and and we hope it'll be a great new year for those listening. Amen. Excellent, Daniel. Uh, This has been so good. Thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your heart and your passion with pastors. You are definitely a pastor to pastors, and and I love that about you, brother. So thank you again for being with us. Uh, We'd love to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. My privilege. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.